0: All right, good evening, everyone. You ready to go? Uh Hebrews 11, shock surprise. I know. Hey, so tonight we're going to talk about freedom. America. Freedom. Freedom! No, Braveheart, not America. Go ahead and secede. We don't need you. Hey! But you know what? We don't get any of your money, so it doesn't bother me any. Oh, boy. All right, Hebrews 11 22 to 28. We're going to link some two strange stories, or it's strange that they're linked. We're going to do that, hopefully. Have a little fun, encourage you, tell some good stories. Tonight we're talking about the freedom of faith. And we're looking at Joseph and Moses. Let's read this 22 to 28. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Huh. That better be good. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Interesting. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we ask you in all sincerity uh, to be with us tonight. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would make the invisible be more and more visible and real to us as we take hold of it by faith. I pray, Jesus, that the freedom that is one and you and what you have done might come alive to us tonight. Do this despite my uh, words. Do it despite our tiredness and our injuries. And do it because of the power of your word and for your glory, dear Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Joseph and Moses are linked by two very important things. They both were Egyptian royalty, despite the fact they're actually Jews. A whole interesting thing on its own. And also, they're linked by the Exodus. The massive Old Testament paradigm for the redemption that God will bring to his people. Egyptian royalty meant access to all the pleasures of life with no guilt and no social pressure to do otherwise. Incredible. Yet, these two men and others considered... As the text says, the wealth of Christ, more precious to them. The faith that Joseph and Moses had brought them freedom. Not only them, but an entire people. And they encourage us. They speak to us of a freedom and a joy and a hope that is possible only in Christ. Faith brings freedom. Freedom, the reward that is talked about in this passage, I think, or one way to talk about it, is freedom. Freedom from the love of the world that is loving the world too much, and freedom from the fear of the world being overcome by the world. Faith brings freedom. Let's talk about Joseph. Joseph and his bones. (laughs) What? What? You get like extra prize if you have any idea where this is even going to go at the moment. Don't, don't say it out because I really don't care. But, uh, if, but, but if you even have any clue, you are a great scripture reader. You remember the story of Joseph and his family, right? It's a story of uh, they got to Egypt through betrayal and because of a drought. Joseph was, you know, thrown in the pit and the thing and betrayed by his brothers and all that. But God blessed him there in Egypt and he rose the ranks And he was the second command in all of Egypt. Joseph was the vice president of the universe at the time. Amazing stuff. And his family stayed in Egypt. They left what was, they'd been wandering in in the promised land in tents, Isaac and Jacob, right? His fathers and Abraham. They left that and they lived in Egypt and they lived in Egypt after that for 430 years. And the last words in the book of Genesis are these. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, that's Egypt, to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, that's all his brothers, swear saying, God will surely visit you, And you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. (laughs) That's all kind of weird. We're back to like Harry Potter and potions class again in Hebrews. Got to love this stuff. You think the Bible's boring, you have no idea what you're talking about. You just need to learn how to read it. Have you? Do any of you, I have this grandmother, do any of you had this grandmother? She died, but we're getting to that. It's fine. She's in heaven. Do any of you, hey, we're talking about bones and death and mummies. We're going to be a little morbid for a second. Do any of you have the grandmother or grandparent that's like always threatening that they're going to like die in the next year? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh my gosh, grandma, really? You know, it's like Christmas morning and everybody's happy and they're drinking coffee and eating all the fun Christmas breads. You know, and there's presents everywhere. Everybody's happy. There's kids running around. And Grandma's like, well, since this is my last Christmas with you all, and you're like, Grandma! Like, what are you supposed to say? No, Grandma, you're still young. No. No, you're not young. That's a lie. What are you supposed to say? You're, then you feel guilty for, like, not getting her more of a present, right? You got her, like, a mug that you, you know you know and yeah number one grandma you like and then she says that kind of stuff because you know you don't spend enough time with her because you're running around with your friends and going to movies and you know you're in five sports and all that kind of thing and she says hey you know wonder if you come over for dinner or whatever you and your sister you and your brother you're like, oh grandma i've got you know i've got this i've got that and she says well you'll miss me when i'm gone You know, and you're like, oh, I'm such a worm. (laughs) Spoils your birthday. Since this is my last birthday, since I won't be around when your kids are born. And you're just like, stop, Grandma. Stop threatening to die. (laughs) Imagine 400 years of that. Imagine the family of Joseph. You're sitting around celebrating the Passover, you know, and Grandpa Jones, you know, after the meal, he sits back and tells the same story he's been telling for 35 years. Your great great grandfather Joseph, you may not know this. He's talking to you. You're 16. You are you. But our family didn't always live in Egypt. You're like, oh, I know that, Grandpa. You your father Joseph when he came here he goes on and on and, you, you know, and like half an hour later and the punchline is and if God comes back when you're alive you need to go get the bones he was like I do not want to hear about the bones anymore the eyes rolling the oh my gosh I've heard this story why did Joseph say that? what is the big deal? two reasons For Joseph, God's redemption was real. By real, I mean it actually happened to him, to them, what happened to them in space and time. Like it was real. It was tangible. It was so tangible that he kind of did the weird thing of like leaving the only tangible thing that he could, you know, whatever didn't rot away from his body. Nah. He, He wanted to experience that redemption the exodus. He was so confident that God would show up and redeem them. It was real to him. Faith was not a feeling. Your faith can't be a feeling. It has to be real. One of the things that you have to work through, and I encourage you to, is look at Christianity from the standpoint of it actually happening, like all the stuff in the Bible actually happened. There's more document evidence about what Jesus did than anything that Julius Caesar ever did. I understand that there's doubts and questions about the Christian faith. But when you look at it just from a point of like fact, like evidence, like documents and witnesses and corroborating testimony, you be- should believe the Bible way quicker than you do anything about Roman history. We go on and on. What did Paul say? If the resurrection didn't actually happen in time and space, we are of all people the most to be pitied because we're So. But it actually happened. The resurrection actually happened. In time and space. Christianity is a real religion. It's not just about a feeling. And Joseph knew that. He understood that. And the second thing was that Joseph loved the wealth of Christ more than Egypt. Do you think that's easy or hard? If... If you were the sheikh, whatever of like some oil-rich country, where where you were the second in command and can do whatever you wanted, do you, you had all the you know billions of dollars at your disposal? Easy or hard to <laughs> to give that up? Yeah, that's hard. Joseph had some other thing in his mind. He had some other thing in his vision. Now last night. We're talking to some of the counselors, and I think, I mean, I may have scared some of you a little, I may have said things a little too strongly, like, it came across last night like God was going to take away everything that you love, or something. I didn't mean that. What I meant to say, would well, God will test you. He will test you with that thing you love. Um, I don't know what that will look like. He may not take away, I don't know. But part of the Christian life is testing, and you need to know that. But God's purpose is always not to make us miserable. Our, God's purpose is to grab our hearts. And what we are so good at is is wrapping our hearts around everything just in front of us and the things in the world. And, and, and for, in order for us to love Jesus, Jesus has to remove some of those things often in our lives. This happened to me extremely recently, devastatingly recently. I didn't know I had this problem, but um, I kind of... Um, I mean, I knew I have obsessions and love things in this world too much, but I didn't know that I loved my car too much um, until I didn't have it anymore. So what happened was my Volvo, my 1998. Now this was not the boxy, boring Volvo. This thing was burnt orange. Everybody loves burnt orange. It it was yeah it was it was old, but it had a turbo. It was so fast, 250 horsepower. It had suede leather seats, y'all. It was 98. Sunroof, all-wheel drive, super shiny wheels. It was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of low and sporty looking. It had a Dolby Digital 5.1 surround sound stereo system in it. Huh? You know what I'm saying? This car was so fun. I love this car. It didn't cost me very much, whatever, which is good because. I don't know. But I loved it. I didn't know I loved it until the engine blew up. It's one of those things that were going to cost more to fix it than the car was worth. I had to let it go. I'm ashamed to say this because some of you love other things like, you know, that are more, you should probably love more like pets. We don't have pets in our family. We have cars. When the car died, I'm sorry, it was a death. It was a death in our family. And I need you to take that Seriously. I understand that your pet died, that little that little that little your little poopsie or whatever you call it your little that it died and it sad, but I'm telling y'all this rocked our family. My wife both and I were just like it was a serious death. Now, here's what happened to me after that. I began to obsess about losing that car and about what my next car would be. I mean obsess. I mean day in, night in, night out. On Craigslist, looking at the thing, looking at every single car I drove by on the car lot, swerving all over the place. Oh, whoa! You know, look, maybe I can have that. Maybe I can have this. I was obsessing, 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 and I don't need to tell you this story, but it took forever to find a new car because the market's horrible and there's this whole thing going on out there. It doesn't. That part doesn't matter. But here's what matters: I could not stop thinking about a car, no matter how hard I tried. I have a lot going on in my life, and that's scary when something like that just over... I finally asked myself this question. What exactly am I asking a car, the possessing of a car, to do for me in my life? In some strange, sick, crazy way, I was, I was asking a car to save me somehow, to steady me, to center me, to make me Okay. That's nuts. That's called having an idol. That's called loving something in this world more than anything. God exposed my heart. And it was kind of funny at times. It was kind of silly. And then it was kind of really depressing. But he genuinely t- exposed my heart. And the end of the story is now I have a new car. I mean, a new, new car. i never had a new car in my entire life. I've never owned a car with under 100,000 miles on it. My entire life, I'm 34. I've been driving for 18 years. Never had a new car. I have a new car. It's fantastic. Now, you would think that i was obsessed about this new car, but let me tell you what's already happened to this new car. Like the second week I had it, I worked with college students, right? I'm taking one of them home. He rode his bike over to my house. He's putting his bike in the back of my car. I can't even count how many scratches on my bumper from that bike. Oh, I think it's in there. Slam! Like, oh, my God. Oh my God. There's already a dent with a white streak in between the front door and the passenger door. The back seat smells like throw up because of my kids have been in there for a car trip and the rotten milk and everything. And you know what? I am perfectly okay with that. It's fantastic. I mean, I like this car. I'm no lo- I am no longer in love with this car. This weird thing happened to me. Because of the way this whole new car thing came about, it was nothing but a gift from God. And having it just be a gift from God that was what I needed and it was awesome, In a strange way, he set me free from idolizing cars. He set me free. Joseph was freed from the love of wealth of Egypt because he desires God's promises more. And guess what God did with that? Exodus 13, you can read about it. Moses took the bones of Joseph up out of the ground. Mummy mummy Joseph, out of the ground he was they mummified him that's what it said on their way to the red sea and took him to the promised land he made it it was real not only that look f- that story survived 430 years they all remembered 430 years later to do it not only that actually happen for him he inspired the rest of the nation of israel to be looking to god's provision and god's provision alone amazing story from a weird, random thing in Scripture. Faith brings freedom from the love of the world. Looking at Jesus brings freedom from the love of the world. The second thing is that faith brings freedom from fear of the world. The stories that are told about Moses, we're kind of in that second half now, are different than the normal stories told about Moses, right? And you all know the story. Not even, I'm not going to retell a single bit of it, because even if you've ever been in church in your life, you've seen the movie. The writer picks these stories for a reason, and it's to tell us this. Moses and his parents did the same thing. They were not afraid of the king. Who was the king? Well, in their context, the king was a tyrant. He had all power, complete and total power over everything and everybody. The king for you is not, you know, a pharaoh, right? The king for you are just the power structures in this world. The things that, you know, you can't control. that are more powerful than you. The educational system. Whoever's reading your college applications. Whoever's reading your, uh, what do you call that when you take those classes because you're smart in high school and get extra points? and, AP. Yeah, AP. Whoever's reading your AP exams. Clearly, I never did that, Okay. <laughs> Money, the economy, uh, the, the people in government, not only in our country, but in other, in other countries. We're more global than ever, ever before. Employers, people that employ your parents. These power structures around the world, these things that are kings over us, that hold the power over you know, some of our material lives and some of our physical lives. We do fear these things, don't we? We fear them I and mean, we tremble before them. We, we try to please them, you know. We, we try to do it right so that, that they don't you know punish us in the end. But when fear gets out of control, these things begin to rule our hearts. And then fear begins to rule us. Moses was afraid, if you remember from Genesis 2, after he killed the Egyptian for torture. He was afraid. He was not impervious to fear. It's just that he came back. What did he come back with? A vision of God that he could not resist. Yahweh, the I am, the one who would redeem. The God finally revealed himself who had promised for so long. The powers of this world, the things that are bigger than us in this world, only control us when they rule our hearts, when we give our hearts to them, when we are trying to appease them to make our life go okay. Again, this is what the Bible calls an idol. This is an interesting thing, I think, in my study. I realized this years and years ago, I think. But, you know, the only thing in the Bible, we talk about, like, asking Jesus into my heart, which is a fine expression. Except the only thing the Bible ever talks about actually putting into your heart in that language are idols. There's this thing in Ezekiel 14, verse 7, and kind of following, where God is really upset with his people and he's just laying it down. And here is his, his, uh, uh, um, he's diagnosing the problem. Here's what he said. You have taken your idols and put them in your heart. Very interesting language. You've taken your idols, he said, and put them in your heart. That means that they're completely controlled by them. They have no choice. They're, you know, the pleasures of this world and money and and sex and power and, and success and love and relationships have come to control their people. And you know what that is called? Slavery. The thing that Egypt stood for. There is this truth about sin and sinfulness and the way that our hearts work because of the sin nature that's still in there when we take the things of this world and put them in our heart, so to speak, and you know what I'm saying, I think, when I speak like that, they begin to control us, and that's when it gets scary. That's when fear comes in. That's when we feel like we're out of control. That's when we begin to serve the master of the world. That's when we become slaves. And This is not to say that God takes all that you happen to like in life. It's not about that. God's gifted all of you in so many ways. It's not about that. It's just that he warns us to not fall in love with those things. Huge difference. Let me try to illustrate it this way. I love riding bikes. Oh, I love bikes. I love just looking at a, just the, the beauty of a bike, the art form. I love handmade bikes. I love... I love I rode bikes and mountain bikes. I just love bikes. It's a little weird. It's fine. No weirder than loving football or Tim Tebow or whatever. I love bikes. I love to race bikes. I have everything to do with bikes. Now, this becomes a problem, not because I enjoy it, not because God has gifted me in that, not because he's given me actually bikes to ride, which is a huge gift of its own, which I should thank him more for. It becomes a problem when I obsess about it. When I want that more than anything, when I leave my family behind, when I love my bikes more than my family, when I love my bikes more than Jesus, that is so possible for me to do. You have no idea. In fact, this happened to me one time and it scared me. Um, I just moved to Seattle or been there a couple of years and I got really into bike racing then more into road racing and than kind of mountain bike racing. It's super huge up there. Everybody is so competitive. They're so obsessed with cycling up there. I was like, oh, I love this place. You know, I fit right in. And doing this thing, and I just let it get out of control. And I remember the first full road season I I started to race, I trained all winter long, which is miserable to be fast when the first races came along. My first two road races, I flatted both times. What that means is you're done. You cannot catch up. It's not like a Tour de France where it's just all different. Somebody throws a new thing, the new bike at you, and you just keep going, and somebody hauls you up. It's not like that. You're done. And you know what? Man, I was feeling good those two days. I was like, I'm going to win the easily. You know, I was up there. I felt like I was in it. The second time this happened to me, driving home and Amy was with me, I was so, so incredibly angry, almost as angry as I've ever been in my life. We were driving home, and I was so. I was gonna win this race that had all the climbing and it had all the stuff that I could really do well and get away from everybody and be up on the top of the podium. Everybody worship me, which is what I really wanted. And I was so angry that I didn't even finish the stupid race. I was like banging the steering wheel, like driving on, screaming in the car in anger. And my poor wife is sitting there. And after I calmed down and she talked to me, I was like, what in the world just happened? Y'all, that was scary. It, my cycling had controlled me. I was like, I don't know, use the illustrate, you know, Star Wars when, what's his name, Anakin, You know Skywalker, he, you know, he's controlled like he's no longer who he was. Y'all, that's scary. That's what idols do. That's what obsessing and loving over stuff in this world does. Now look, I had to repent of that and it was good and I remember that and that's good for me to have that. God didn't take it away from me. I'm still riding. I love it. I'm still racing. I've done better in races from that point to now than I ever have before. It's not about that. Here's the thing. The biggest difference is this. I am enjoying it now more than ever. Because its it's stranglehold on my heart has been loosened. And that makes all the difference. I can just ride, you know, and just enjoy it and just thank Jesus that that I love this. It is so awesome that I can go see these amazing places in the middle of nowhere that most people never get to see. I get to have these experiences. I get to push my body. I get to experience all that. The tyranny over it was broken by God's kindness and love for me. Now Moses struggled with the same thing deeply. I'm sure he did. He had access to all of the pleasures of the world, everything you know that, that sin had out there for him. Let's not pull any punches on this. He could have done whatever with anybody at any time, and it would have been perfectly within his rights. All the sex he ever could have wanted, all the drugs—yes, they had drugs back then. All of the, all of the whatever, anything. It's man, just he could do whatever he wanted to as a schedule. He could have had it all, but he didn't. He ran from it. And you know the pull too, don't you? You have access to a lot of pleasures in this life too, don't you? You know the pull of sex and drugs, yes, drugs, even in this room, of alcohol, of just whatever the, the underground music world, you know even the pull of whatever, if your hobby is something else, you know even the pull of the hobby thing like I was just talking about. You know this. There's this battle in us between the pleasures of this world, loving those things, and loving Christ. And you know the battle. It's hard. I know the battle. I had the same battle when I was your age. I still have the same battle. And you know the result. I mean, I just think it's so funny. Like, we are so bad at this. We are in such a brutal battle. Like, you don't even have to be in anything dramatic. If you have an iPhone, like, you're just... You know, There needs to be like a new, um, like some sort of new, new medical thing where, like, the Twitch, you know, the smartphone Twitch. You know, it's just like, you just develop this thing. Like, we can't even get away from our smartphones and we're obsessed with these things. But if you've given in to them, you know the result, don't you? Fear, guilt, misery, shame. Ah, oh, And just like it says here in Hebrews 12, you know that they're fleeting that like they just don't last. And it's awful. It is really awful to have those things crush you like that, to, to, to give you fear. But Moses, by his faith, was freed from the tyranny of that fear that sin brings. But how? Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Very strange phrase. Okay, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the wealth that Egypt had. That doesn't even make any sense. It's The reproach of Christ is New Testament language talking about the cross. It's from the world's perspective, right? If the world thinks that sin is pleasure, the world thinks that Christ is reproachful, should not be touched. Just kind of... Weird, it's shameful, it's ugly, it's kind of brutal. Death, really? You worship some guy that was like tortured and hung up? That's weird and gross. The reproach is about the cross. But you know, too, that the cross is beautiful. Because there, the fear and the guilt and the shame is taken away. There, the suffering has meaning there like all this stuff that just can can overwhelm us and crush us is uh, is is taken away and Jesus did that purely out of love love for you love for his church the freedom of the cross is that when Jesus dies for your sins the gospel says you are free from that guilt and you're free from the fear that the world you know, puts down on you that we bring on ourselves fear that we won't make it, fear that we won't get the grade, fear that we won't get into college, fear we won't get married, fear we won't have the money that we wanted that we want to have. All these fears that control us. See, giving God control of your life doesn't mean misery. What it means is freedom from what actually oppresses us. For freedom Christ has set us free, Galatians 6 says. Freedom is in Jesus. And when the love that Jesus had from all of eternity to die for your sins, my actual sins, to die for my obsessive cycling, to die for my lust, to die for my pride and my actual greed and all of that stuff, and the thing that Jesus did that in love for me because he wanted to bring me freedom overwhelms my heart and sets me free. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about freedom. Freedom from the fear of the world. When the love of God overwhelms your heart, you don't need to love the world. Look at verse 28. It says, By faith, Moses, he kept the Passover lamb, or Passover and sprinkled blood everywhere. And <laughs> Another, what? How does that help us? The Passover lamb, as you know, foreshadows the true lamb, Christ. And if you know the story from the Passover, the reason they sprinkled blood on the doors and everything was to escape the judgment of God. The destroyer, the angel, came in and took all the firstborn of all the families, Egypt or Hebrew, if the blood of the lamb did not cover them. Moses by faith sprinkled that blood over himself and all the people. That meant that they were free from God's judgment. You need to understand this about the cross. As you cleanse yourself in the blood of Jesus, you need to know that you're free from the judgment of God. That's awesome. Because if there's anything that's inhibiting us from approaching God with all boldness, if there's anything that is inhibits us from coming to God with our actual fears, if there's anything that, uh, that prevents us from talking to God about the shame that we feel, if there's anything that that, that um, prevents us from talking to God that we're afraid that, that He's not going to answer our prayers and not give us what what He wants, it's that we're afraid that He's just going to destroy just gonna zap us and it's not true it's part of the lie that Satan is, that loves to spread that is not God the blood shed at the cross cleanses you, it sets you free to love God, to approach God to rest in God only the blood of Jesus does that the trick to getting this this is gonna sound funny The trick to getting this is actually letting Jesus die for your sins. I'm not saying believe that Jesus died for sins. You all believe that. I'm talking about something different. I'm saying let Jesus die for your actual sins. Put him on the cross. I was talking with somebody about this earlier this week. 2 Corinthians 5.21-ish. I think that's right. He who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God intentionally made his son on the cross sin, made him sin. That means he took all of our actual sin and he put it on him. And what do we get in return? Righteousness. You don't get more judgment. You don't get like, you know, a new report card that you have to fill out with all your good works. You get a full report card. All A's, all accomplished, the race is won. You get righteousness. You have to repent of your actual sins to know this freedom. But we kind of like to hold on to our sins, don't we? You kind of like them? Or you're ashamed of them? I mean, to the point of, it's even hard to think about, let's just talk about we're afraid to let them go because it might hurt if they're taken away because we know the pleasure they bring, even though we know it's fleeting is just, it seems so good. We like to hold on to our sin, but the Exodus is teaching us that if we hold on to our sin, we're actually slaves. (laughs) Let Jesus free you from your sin. I have students ask me this all the time. I mean, they come to me with a big thing, you know, I've done this um, and it's always big. I mean, it's, it's one of the big ones, you know? Sex, drugs, or abortion or something. Abuse, something. I mean, something big. And they come to me, I, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, they can't get past this. Here's what I tell them. You need to imagine that thing that you've done. You need to take that thing, and you need to imagine Second Corinthians 5.21 happening. You need to take that sin, and you need to put it on Jesus. And let him die for it. That's the only that's the only way. We can't self-help our way out of this. We can't get over it because you know some of these things are awful and they create fear and we're slaves. We can't get out of it. Let Jesus set you free. He can. You're like, what if I do that? I'm afraid to do that. I'm telling you, I've done this so many times in my life, I've encouraged other people to do it. The only thing that awaits you on the other side is freedom. You have to let Jesus die for your sins. He wants to die for your sins. I hope I'm sounding like a crazy person right now. He wants to die for your sins. He wants to hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He doesn't want to hang out with the Pharisees. Please, let Jesus set you free. I struggled with this at your age. Deeply, I struggled with this. I still do. I struggled with this at YXL camp. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know why I came to camp? two or three times that I did I think twice to meet girls I did thank you I did it's true you want their names one one is the sister of somebody in here and that's too embarrassing but like I'm not talking about that anyway, It's bad as brutal Enough. Well, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. The other one, no. The other one, I don't remember. I didn't, in, I didn't inhale. I don't remember. The other one was uh, April. She was from um, Indiana. Uh, she liked to play tennis. I like to play tennis. We play tennis just up the hill. It's a fantastic time. April. Whew. Chrissy was another one. Um, Jenny. Yeah. I told you. I told you I had a problem. And and there was another girl, I don't remember her name. She had the crush on me, I don't remember. I don't know. It was one of those things where you like flirt in large group, you know, like this, you like pass notes, one of those things. I don't remember her name. And then I got back to my real life in high school. And then there was... Elisha. Um, there was Alicia. Yeah, <laughs> not at the time. I'm gonna be ordained. There was Kelly. I am. There was, uh, there was Tanaya. Tanaya, I know. Tanaya, actually. Um, there was uh, Holly. You think maybe I had a problem? Typical guy. What? I just want you to know I feel your pain. (laughs) What? Yeah. Each day. I told you what I wanted. I told you I had a problem. I'm just confessing to you. Don't make me feel ashamed. I'll be. Is accept? No, I'm not accepting more. Obviously, I had a problem. Obviously, I needed some help. And you know that. I mean, there's nothing good that comes out of that. I mean, you all know this. Like, even though you're doing it right now, you know there's nothing good that's going to come out of this. So just stop it. Just knock it off. But you know what you're asking when that happens. You are asking. You, You are asking that, whatever your thing is, maybe that's not your thing, I don't know, but you're asking that to make you feel good. And I was a slave to that. I was a slave to that desire, and for years I was miserable. But in all seriousness, everything absolutely changed my first couple years in college. When I began to let the reality of God's actual love for the actual me as demonstrated on the love or on the cross just overwhelmed me. as I finally let Jesus in on what was actually going on in my heart and actually found the courage, not in myself, but because of the gospel, of God's tremendous, never-ending mercy and grace and love. Because of that. I sort of gave myself up to him. I gave, I gave him all this stuff, and I fell in love with him for the first time. And I've never been the same since. The gospel will set you free. Let Jesus set you free. Let's pray. God, would you do this? Would you work redemption in our hearts? Would you allow us to be honest? It's so difficult and maybe even worse at you know, YXL, some other camp. we're supposed to be like, you know, the special people from the youth group or the church or whatever. And Not everybody gets to come to this. Jesus, would you allow us to be honest and and to tell you about who we really are? And would you give us that hope and that freedom and that joy on the other end? Would you, as we by faith, because we can't even see it, we can imagine it, we can hold on to it by faith, by faith, as we seek freedom in you, Jesus, in your power, would you give it to us? We deeply desire this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.